Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. y'all know I love you today? I love this house. I love pastoring here and spending our lives together. Someone asked me the other day, he said, how long you been there? I said, well, I'm the only pastor they've had. I've been there 19 years. They're like, oh. And do you ever just want to ask people, what do you mean by, uh, one word could mean so many different things, <laughs> you know, like, oh, why have they kept you that long? Or, oh, you know, uh, side note, has nothing to do with the sermon, but you'll get a kick out of this. I'm in Publix the other day with my two little girls, and uh, this guy said, he's about five years older than me, six years older than me. He goes, all right, granddaddy. <laughs> oh, no, that didn't offend me. He offended me later. I said, I said, oh, no, no, I'm just so naive and gullible. You're like, oh, no, no, they're not my, I'm not granddaddy. These are my babies. No joke, no exaggeration. Here's how long the pause happened, and here's what he did. So he goes, all right, granddaddy. I said, no, no, granddaddy, these are mine. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait for it. He goes, for real. I said, yes, sir, these are mine. He goes, mm. <laughs> then walked off. I don't know what that meant. Except those of y'all that raised kids, he will know what that means. Yeah. All right. Back to the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. If you're there, say amen. If they didn't bring their Bible, just camera, zoom in on them so they'll be on the internet. But if our gospel be hid, if, not everyone's gospel is hid, but if your gospel is hid, it is hid to those that are lost. If your gospel, the one you've received of the Lord, well, of course, it's his gospel, but it, the one that you've received, if it be hid, it's hid from them that are lost. And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They stay blind until the gospel... The message of God's grace shines in their hearts. We do not preach ourselves. The gospel is not preaching my story. The gospel is not preaching my history. The gospel is not me telling you how, uh, what a long way I've come from and quote how Jesus made a difference in my life. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ the Lord and ourselves servants for Jesus' sakes. For God commanded the light to shine out of darkness and has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure. This is not speaking of eternal life. It's speaking of the gospel. We have this treasure, this message in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Being kind to people is not sharing the gospel. There's a bumper sticker. You've heard me say this before, and it just grieves me so much. It says, preach the gospel, and when you have to, use words. I want to say, time out. So you're saying that my kindness is the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No. How about this? Preach the gospel while you're being kind. They're two totally different things. That's just like saying being kind is going to work. 
And they call you and say, where are you this morning? I'm being sweet at home. <laughs> say, well, you're fired at home. <laughs> being light is not sharing the gospel. Being the bright spot at your work, letting your countenance shine with the glory of the Lord is not sharing the gospel. It is radiating the presence of Christ. They're two totally different things. And when God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he did not say, go in all the world and let them see how kind you are or how good you are. And those things are important. They are reflections of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. But people are not saved from my kindness. People are saved from hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we are to share the gospel with people. Being a friend is not sharing the gospel. I'm a friend to all my lost friends at work, and that is wonderful. The, the alternatives are not being a friend to those that aren't believers. But being a friend is not sharing the gospel. Meeting someone's need is not sharing the gospel. Fixing a roof or mowing the grass, they're wonderful expressions of the compassion and kindness of God, but that is not what he commanded us to do. Those are reflective or reflections Meeting someone's need is not sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is sitting down and explaining to people where they are, who they are, how God views them, and what God has made available to them. Living moral. God knows we need a revival of morality, but that's not sharing the gospel. Living holy, living sanctified is not sharing the gospel. Not being ashamed of your faith is not sharing the gospel. Giving to people is not sharing the gospel. Loving, listening, and supporting is not sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is sharing the gospel. And most of us know this. Most of us know that God has commanded us. I even heard the other day, I forgot where it was, a preacher saying, God did not tell us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. You just wonder sometimes, do you even have a superficial reading of the Word of God? How can I make a disciple if I haven't first made a convert? I mean, answer the phone, people. Anything just passes off. Oh, that's good. That's good. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel shines into the dark places of people's light. They hear the message. They humble themselves. They repent. They find grace. And then we make disciples of them by raising them up in the things of God and in the ways of God. People do not find forgiveness for their sins in our goodness, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, not the effect of the gospel in your life, but the gospel message that is the power of God unto salvations in Romans 1.16. We feel the responsibility. And for some of us, we do not share the gospel with people out of fear. Fear of rejection. Others, we don't care. But the majority of people that I know do care and do feel the responsibility. But they do not feel comfortable in their knowledge of just the gospel itself so as not to appear like they don't have it all together, they are silent. As we prepare for home groups, we've met with the leaders, and I had one other training that I was going to do before the home group start, because every home group leader has to be able to start at A and get to Z and lead someone to the Lord. And I thought that instead of doing it with the leaders, if I could just share with you this morning uh, how to share the gospel with someone and what it is, that that would be beneficial to you. Am I right? 
Amen. Those of you uh, on Facebook, you can go to my website and the notes from this morning's service will be there. And I just, I could not imagine spending my life knowing Christ and not knowing how to communicate the gospel to someone else. So I've just written down several simple things that if you grasp these truths, you don't have to have a Bible in front of you to communicate the truth. And you can lead someone from where they are to salvation. Let me pray for us. Lord, over the next few moments, I ask that you give me a clarity of mind and thought that I could communicate this in such a way that we grasp it, not just with our mind, but with our spirit. And that we are able to go from this place as we study these scriptures and digest it so fully that we can start with someone and take them all the way home to you. And I thank you in advance for the fruit that's going to come from this message because your word will not return, return unto you void. And I believe it today, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, it's very hard to share the gospel with a stranger. It can be done, but it's very hard. Lifestyle evangelism is the key to winning someone to the Lord. How many of you were led to Christ by finding a gospel track on a seat somewhere with no involvement, no history of Christians before you, no family Christians? You just read the message and found it. How many of you had someone, a relative, a grandparent, someone that was influential in your life that no matter where you gave your life to the Lord, it was because of their influence and their relationship that preceded the message? Okay. The first thing you need to do is have relationship with people. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Okay? So when you connect with people at work, friendship, however, you get to the place where you approach them and say, can I have... One day, can I talk to you about my faith? I, I just, this is so important to me, and I consider you a friend, and I want to share with you some things. And they say, sure. A lot of times I'll do that before I actually share, and then I'll come back later and say, hey, you want to go to lunch? I just want to talk to you about what we talked about the other day. Okay. The first thing is I will often start with Luke chapter 15, and I will tell them the story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And when I'm talking to an unbeliever, especially in this generation, I always start with this. I say, look, let's just say the Bible is true. And someone say, oh, Brother John, you can't say that. You know it's true. Oh, I know it's true, but they don't. So I'm inviting them in in their indecision. Look, presuming the Bible is true. Now, I've built my life upon it, but just presuming it's true. May I tell you these stories? You'll be surprised how their guard goes down when you say, let's just presume the Bible is true. Because we know if they let that guard down and that door opens, truth is going to come in. They say, okay. So there's a lost coin. The woman loses the coin and sweeps the whole house until it's found. There's a lost sheep who strays away from his shepherd. And I don't read the story to it. I tell it to him. And there's a lost sheep that wanders away from the shepherd. And the shepherd leaves the, the flock to go find the sheep. And he puts it upon his shoulders and brings it home. And there's the lost son that takes his inheritance and leaves his father and goes into a far land and wastes his substance on riotous living. And famine overtakes the land. And he finds himself in want. And he was dying. And the scripture says that he came to himself and said, Even my father's servants have bread enough to spare. I will go back home to my father. And I will repent before him and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And on his way home, his father saw him, ran from a great distance, fell on his neck and kissed him. I tell them, now in this story, these are the types of people that God views. 
And by this time, see, stories, people, people will follow you with stories. I said, there's the lost coin that didn't know he was lost. There's the lost sheep that knew he was lost and didn't know how to get back home. And there's the lost son that knows he's lost and knows how to get back home, but his pride won't let him. Let's just say the Bible's true. If you had to describe you in one of these three, which would you say more closely describes where you are? And almost without fail, they'll answer that question. They'll say, I, I, I guess I don't know that I'm lost because I don't believe I am. I said, fair enough. That's all I want to know. Others would say, uh, I, I know something's wrong. I feel disconnected with God, but I don't know how to get back. I said, Honest answer. And don't ever correct them with which answer they give you because it's a pretty good idea. Pretty probable they know where they are. So if they tell you, I think I'm this, and even if they're wrong, just fine. You just want dialogue. Because it doesn't matter how confused someone else might be, the light shines in their soul. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It goes into confusion and brings clarity. Lights go off when you share the gospel. Or if they say, I'm the son, I was raised in church, I know what, the, how, what God expects, and I've wandered off, and I'm just not ready to go back home. Great. And then I tell them which I was. I say, I was the prodigal son. At nine years old, I could tell someone else how to be saved, and I was not living as a Christian. So we identify. You always want to identify with people. Tell them where you were in the gospel. Tell them where they were. When I start with these stories, I've already engaged dialogue. You don't want to just, okay, sit down and for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to tell you how horrible you are. You ready? Let's go. They're not going to be open to that. Which one best describes you? So let me ask this. Which one of you is best described as the lost coin? You didn't know you were lost. Just a few coins. Who is the lost sheep? Knew he was lost and didn't know how to get back home. A lot more. The prodigal. You were raised. You knew it. You heard it. Okay. So I cover that, and then I say, now, can you just give me 10 minutes? And I'll often say this. If you will let me share my faith with you and share the gospel with you, I promise that this won't be all our relationship is. You're my friend, and I care for you. But because I love you, I have to tell you what I believe. Deal, can I have 10 minutes? And they're thinking, so you ain't going to pin me down no more and tell me this? Deal. All I'm looking for is the word deal. And then you got to be true to it. If you give, spend 10 minutes, you don't give them the next, you know, come up the next day at work and throw a Bible on their desk. You can't do that. Share the gospel. So I said, if, if, if you'll let me just take 10 minutes with you and share this with you, I'm not going to badger you. I just, I want you to hear the story that changed my life. Almost without fail, if I'm in relationship with them, they let me. All right. The first thing, if you're taking notes, and I trust you're taking notes, the first thing is you must reveal everyone standing before God. Romans 3.10. Now, I'm going to go, of course, a little longer today than 10 minutes because I've got you here. I want to explain it. But when you share this, you're not looking to share every point. You're, you're trying to share the simplicity of the points, not the subpoints. But I want to explain it to you so you'll have a better overall view so when you talk to them, you can condense, if you will. You must reveal everyone standing before God. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So I read that verse to him. I said, there's nobody in right standing with God. 
There's no one who is innocent before God. No one that God accepts. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, no one alive today, or no one that's ever lived. If, and by this time, they're already hesitating and chafing. I said, now, if this is true, then all of our efforts are futile because there's none righteous. We inherited this position from our fathers. Romans 5.12 said, Sin came into the world through one man and death as a result of sin. So death spread to all men and no one being able to stop it or escape its power. I tell him about the sin issue. I said, before we start with sins, I want to tell you about the sin issue. You remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? And most everybody say, yeah. Well, let's just say that this was true. It happened just like God said it happened. When Adam sinned, there was broken fellowship between he and God. And he began to cover his nakedness with, with leaves, fig leaves, and man-made things. And he hid himself from God. And that's what we do when our conscience tells us we're guilty. We hide from God. And we inherited from Adam to his sons. He passed down the sin genome, if you will. And it's not an issue of sins. It's an issue of sin. And since that time, everyone has been out of fellowship with God. And then I'll usually say something lighthearted like, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to kick Adam in the shins just as hard as I can kick him. And I said, you know, you might say, well, I don't believe we're born in sin. I ask them, have you ever seen little two-year-olds in a sandbox? Sweet little Bubba Joe. Look at Bubba. And Bubba picks up a Tonka truck and knocks Clarence out. Just a metal Tonka truck. Mine, I, me. We, it's passed on from us. And so from the first point, the story doesn't lose them. But that first point, you've already told them you're not in good fellowship with God. Prepare just for a little bit of, uh, I said, but we'll just wait. So there's no pastor. There's no preacher. There's no bishop. There's no cardinal. There's no religious person that was ever able to approach God on their own. Because he grouped us all together. None righteous. And so I'll usually say something like, me and you are in the same fix. There's nobody in right standing with God. And then I'll say, I didn't say that there aren't good fathers in the world. I didn't say they're not good wives or mothers or kind people. God loved us so much that he let us know in his word that none of us were in good standing with him. I said, so that's the first point. I said, even if you don't agree, do you understand that as I'm communicating it to you? And they will reply, yes. Okay, number two, you must bring to the forefront the evidence of their unrighteousness. Now, you don't tell them these points. You don't say, now, I'm going to bring to the forefront the evidence of your unrighteousness. That, that dog will not hunt. Don't do that. Then we talk about the sins issue. Romans 3.23 is the verse. So I just take them from Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This is the place where they're enlightened for the first time, really. I said, your sins did not make you a sinner. You were a sinner. God declared it. And your sins are the proof of it. I said, have you ever lied? Oh, yeah. I said, me too. Have you ever stole? Yeah. I said, me too. 
And I run down all these lists and I said, it looks like the jury's back and me and you're guilty. <laughs> and by the time they acknowledge, I said, do you understand that the reason that you've done those things are the same reason that I did those things because we were separate from God and the evidence of this separation is the sinful choices that we've made. And even if they're opposed, it makes sense to them. I tell them the verdict is in, our judgment is set, and there is no hope for us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we cannot make ourselves undead. We cannot make ourselves undead. I said, have you ever, you ever heard the phrase born again? And they say, yeah. I said, what part did you play in your first birth? And usually they'll go, huh? Almost everybody said, what? I said, like, what part did you play in you being born? And then they look at you like you don't know better. Oftentimes they go, well, none. I said, so you didn't, through your will or maneuvering, get your mom and dad to have you? And sometimes they look at me and go, what are you talking about? Because it's a spiritual thing. I said, did you play any part? They said, well, no. I said, so you couldn't birth yourself? No. They look at you like, bonehead? No, I couldn't do it. And then I turned to him, I said, so what part are you going to play in your second birth? Because if God doesn't decide to save you, to have you, to birth you, you don't exist. And you can tell it starts to hit them. You must be born again. And how you become born again is you receive God's verdict you receive the evidence of the verdict and you find yourself in a helpless state where your only salvation is if God is merciful to you. And almost without fail, it's at this point, you see the balance start to tilt. You cannot reach God. You cannot make Him do anything. He must, do, in the same way your parents decided to have you, God must decide to save you. And I said, even if you disagree, do you understand the points that I've just told you? And they'll say, yes. The third thing I do is you must show them that salvation was God's idea, not your efforts. Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be the righteousness of God in him. I explained that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. Adam and Eve's nakedness, I go back to that and say they tried to cover themselves with leaves but God killed the animal and placed the skin of the animal over their nakedness. And I said, what was on the underside of that skin? And they'll say, probably the blood of the animal. I said, in the New Testament, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And we wear, we are clothed by God. God created the covering for our nakedness. And that was a type of the salvation that was to come to us. We could not come to God. So while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not after you and I turned and tried to make amends or turn over a new leaf. While we were sinners, without hope. He made the first move. He came to establish a righteousness for us. And knowing that we would sin. If he created us free moral beings. 
I asked them, would you want to have been made a robot that you had to worship God? And they said, no. Well, he knew that. And he created you with free will, knowing you would fail. And Jesus had planned on dying in your place to redeem you back to himself so that your service unto him would not be robotic, but would it flow from a grateful heart. So God sent his love to you as you were, like you were. It's then that I tell them where I was. And I identify with my sinfulness when the gospel came to me. I tell them I was shacked up when I got saved. I was steeped in perversion, hooked on pornography, drunk four or five nights a week for seven years. Why would God come for me? And I tell them, I said, because he knew I couldn't get to him. And someone preached the gospel to me. And I said, it isn't a feel-good gospel. It's a verdict. It's a judgment. Because I could not repent of something I did not feel guilty for. Saints, be very careful that you don't get swept away with this pseudo-Christianity that's sweeping the Western world that's a bloodless gospel. It's not the gospel. Someone had to die for my sins. He had to be sinless to pay for my sins. He had to die for my sins. And this isn't all you tell them. I'm telling you. He had to be buried. He had to be resurrected for my sins. And that's got to be crystal clear to you. That God commended his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died in our place. Explain the difference, number four, between wages and gifts. Wages and gifts. Look at Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll then shift gears and I'll say, where do you work? And they'll say, you know, I, I work at Geico. I said, wonderful. How many hours a week you work? And depending if they're per hour or management, you know, if it's per hour, they say 40 hours a week. And said management, uh, they work is about 60, 70 a week. We just get salary, whatever. I said, so you earn your wages. Yeah, I earn my wages. So you worked how long last week? 45 hours. What if you came up to Friday and you went to get your check and they said, uh, I thank you for your work this week, but we're, we're not paying you this week. They said, what do you mean? I said, they just decided they're not going to pay you. Well, somebody's leaving skin up is what I'm telling you because I'm getting paid. For it. Well, why are you so adamant about that? Because I earned my wages. Oh, okay. God says the wages of your sin is death. That's your check. And you're going to draw it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Me and you just agreed that if the Bible is true, we fit it. We're not righteous. We're not in right standing with God and our sins have proven it. Yes. And the paycheck for your sinful life is your death. I can prove you're a sinner today and I can prove I'm a sinner today. How? I said, look. Look at my gray hairs. I'm dying. You're dying. And when I say that, it's like the Spirit of the Lord just hits me. I said, you know you are. You're getting older. You've buried your grandparents. You're, everybody dies. The paycheck of their sin is death. And the physical death is just a mirror image of the spiritual death that they were born with. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I said, do you earn wages? Yes. Do you earn gifts? No. So because I could not get to God and I had earned death, he died in my place so that I might live to receive the gift of grace. I'll ask them, have you ever, do you know the difference between grace and mercy? And they'll say, well, kind of. Grace is receiving something you didn't deserve. Mercy is keeping something from you that you did deserve. So he gave me mercy in not giving me hell, the judgment for our sins. And the grace he gave me was eternal life in heaven with him. Grace and mercy. Grace and mercy came by Jesus Christ. And by now, they're processing and they may ask a question or two and feel free to let them do that. Because the gospel is already working its way. I said, and I'll, I'll get back to the question. I said, but do you understand the difference between wages and, and gifts? Yes. Do you, are, you, are we in agreement that me and you have committed sins? Yes. And God says that we're not in right standing with him. But there is a free gift available. And God does not give it because of who we are. God gives it because of who he is. I then tell them in so many words how to fully, fully and singularly trust in Jesus Christ as their substitute. Romans 10.9 is the next verse if you're taking notes. For if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Acts 4.12 said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Romans 10.23, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I asked them to read this verse to me, Romans 10, 9. For if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I tell them the difference between believing and the biblical definition of believing. I said, if I were to ask you or many of your friends, do you believe in God? Most of them would say, yeah. I said, but they're not saved. The devil believes that God is God and he's not saved. I said, would we be in agreement that Satan's not saved? And they'll usually chuckle. Yeah, pretty much. If, you know, if he exists, I'm sure he's not a Christian. Well, he believes that God is God. This word believe means to firmly rely and trust solely in Jesus Christ. The Bible said that if you will confess with your mouth and you firmly rely and trust singularly, solely in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he paid for your sin and was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And now tell them that verse. Whosoever. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. I said, people like me. Nobody would have given you 11 cents for my life. Just an old orphan boy, preacher's kid that lived like hell. And I said, I heard the gospel. None of my friends believed, but I believed and I called on the name of the Lord, and he saved me. If our musician would come here. This is the point where I tell them my story. Okay, I've, I've already told them the gospel. And then I tell them my whole journey. This is very important for you to understand. They've been waiting 
to hear your story. They're waiting to hear your story. I tell them the, the warts and all. I tell them about godly parents that prayed. I tell them about all of it. And I tell them where I was and what I was feeling when I called on the name of the Lord. I give them all the details. And when you're telling, your, when you're telling the gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. And when you follow up with your story, you're just a witness in the courtroom. Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God, I do. This is how it happened in my life. And you tell them. Almost without fail, I'll start to weep when I tell them my story. And I said, it's true. Man, I'm not perfect. I will, <laughs> you know me. But I'm forgiven. And my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I know if I died right now, before my feet get cold, I'll be with Jesus. I know it. And I care for you so much, I want to tell you. I wanted to tell you this. Because it's truth. And I'm not your judge. I don't qualify to be your judge. But he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. And the wrath of God abideth in him. And then I go backwards. I said, okay, I may be wrong. And that always wins confidence with them. Because I'm not coming across, hey, I'm confident in the truth, but they're not. I said, I may be wrong. But what kind of friend would I be? If you were heading into a Christless eternity to be judged by God for your sins and I didn't tell you that there's a gift available called grace. What kind of friend? I turn it. What kind of friend would I be? And they said, not a good one. I said, can I give you one more verse? They said, sure. John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When I gave my life to Christ, July 6, 1986, I knelt down under such conviction, and I don't even remember what all I prayed. But when I got up, and I always ask them, I said, look at me. I've never doubted my salvation one time. I was changed. Perfect? No, no, no. Changed. I tell him, I said, you know, I could go out and party right now. But he's ruined me. I wouldn't enjoy it. I'd, some of y'all have visited that avenue like, he's done mess. I'm ruined. Go back and try to do the same thing. And you can't go back to Kansas? I said, I'm changed. Forgiven. Now, I'm not a preacher that tries to use guilt because guilt doesn't work. But I'm going to tell you something as straightforward as I know how to tell you. And my prayer is that this will be seared into your conscience. The Bible says that the wrath of God abideth on those that do not believe. A fearful judgment of eternal fire. When I was in Kenya, about to teach on evangelism, this very thing, there's a butcher that's just 50 feet away, and they were smoking some meat. I didn't even ask what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't pork. I know that. It was maybe llama or something. I don't know what it was. 
but smoke filled this little shed we were worshiping in. There's no windows, there's just a cutout. And this strong, fiery, like something's burning, the wood's burning, filled the little church. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me because I'm about to talk on evangelism. He said, they're on fire. I said, what? The people. Someone has to put them out. They're on fire. And me being good will not put them out. Putting the fire out puts the fire out. And your friends are lost. And your friends will go to a Christless eternity. And we who watch are part of that if we don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can share it in love. You don't have to be judgmental. But there is no other plan. There is no other way. You need to be confident in the fact that the scriptures you read, even if you stammer, there is power with them. Lights turn on. Conviction happens. The Holy Spirit sweeps in. You're not by yourself. Share the gospel. Go into all the world and tell them that they're guiltier than they ever thought they were and that God loves them greater than they ever dreamed he did. And whosoever. I've led people to the Lord that molested their children. Whosoever. I've talked to people that have took lives. Whosoever. Mother that killed children in their womb. They fell under whosoever. People that were in the, the occult. All kinds of backgrounds. We're all grouped together and tell them whosoever. And I've even asked people, are you a whosoever? Many of them prayed right then. I said, you ready to pray? In my office the other day, I asked someone, I said, are you ready to pray? They said, I don't know how. I said, let's do it. Whatever comes out. And this man said, first time he's ever prayed. God, I don't want to be the man that I am. If what he said is true, forgive me. Water broke, slapped him on the rear end. He come out a brand new person because of the gospel. You know I got to go the last 5%. How many months since you shared the gospel with somebody? How many years? The night is far spent and the day is at hand and they're still not saved. You take these notes. Just study them enough to where you can tell the stories. I guarantee you God's plan works. But you got to tell it. Final thoughts. They have to know they're guilty before they'll repent. They have to repent before they'll find forgiveness. There has to be the guilt before God. It condemns. But I don't, don't, don't fall in. It's okay. We're all guilty. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When I was a youth pastor at Northside Assembly of God, we did a hit list. It was an idea by a boy named Andy in my youth group. He said, we need to make a hit list. And so we had a little board with the dry erase marker. And we each wrote three friends that we felt we had enough relationship to share the gospel. And he said, 
We ought to call it the hit list and mark them off when we get it. I don't know if that was great, but he was passionate. So we put our hit list up. The next Wednesday, this tall, thin, African-American brother named Andy Anderson walked in with his friend and gave me the look like, I got him here, preach it, preach it. <laughs> so, friend one came to know, he'd already shared the gospel. I got to reel him in. Next week he come in, he goes, hey John, this is so-and-so and so, you ain't got to preach, they're already Christian. Three, four, five, six. And our white youth group looking on at the guy that felt different just caught it that I have the power of God unto salvation in my words. Embarrassingly, I'll tell you the last little bit. We got time, by the way, because my sermon was short. I can, just, I can just tell you. I can just tell you. We had some old stogy white man. When Andy got ready to be baptized, he had a problem with a black man being baptized in our church. Now, this is 100 years ago, so just bear with us. I told my pastor, I said, problem? I said, that Pharisee's the problem. We're not, people going to hell all around us. This guy's won more people to the Lord in two weeks. I said, problem? And your pastor's always had this in him. Not only did I want him baptized, I wanted to be the one to do it. And just look at him. In the name of the Father, <laughs> Son, and the Holy Spirit. So can we scale back hit list and say this? What happened if we had a care list and we cared enough to tell it like God says it? Throw the net. And if they're not ready, say, look, you, you were so courteous to me to let me share my faith with you. I don't, listen, I'm your friend. I love you. And watch, the ones that tell you no, the gospel's in there now and it's eating away at the fabric of their life and God's gonna use it. God's gonna use it. So, stand to your feet this morning. Look this way. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Fulfill the commandment of Christ. And don't feel the weight of the results. The results are up to God. Preach the gospel. Nothing less than the gospel. Preach the gospel. Nothing less to the gospel. I thought of what was the very last thing I could tell you. And there's people in this room that will understand this. When you lead someone from start to finish and you watch it happen, it is the greatest feeling this side of heaven in the life of the believer barring nothing else. Am I telling the truth? So, put them on the list and let's go fishing. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you. <laughs>